We've got some great surprises on Christmas Eve, man, on the music. It's going to be awesome. I'm, I'm very, very excited about Christmas Eve. Stephen's going to play in Chaps, and only Chaps. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Man, communion is awesome. If you did not grow up partaking in communion, like I did not grow up partaking in communion, uh, I didn't understand what it was about. The only time I ever saw communion was on a monster movie, you know, like Exorcist or a vampire movie. And uh, one of those 70s deals, 80s deals, um, I didn't understand it. And then I, I got became a Christ follower, and I started going to a church, and I didn't know anything about communion. And it was closed communion. And what that meant was, if you don't look like us, think like us, act like us, and are us, you cannot take communion. I didn't know any different. didn't even know there was anything other than that until I went to college. I really didn't. Then I went to a college for a little while that did communion all the time. I mean, it was like a good luck charm. You know, you got your Saint whatever necklace, Saint Jude. You kiss your cross. You hit the doorway when you're in a ball game. You're like, you know, everybody comes and hits the doorway. Or, you know, you were like me, you run a red light. And I don't know if you're, when you run a red light, what you do, but I go, I hit the top. I don't know what it means. I don't ever, you know, but it's like a superstition. I'm, I walk under ladders, but I do do that. And I think I do it just as some kind of reaction because my kids are used like, just run a red light, Dad, you know. So uh, trying to be, you know, teach them something else, another bad example. But communion, man, is is incredible. And I want you to partake in that. We're going to look at what the Bible says. We're going to look at what the Bible says about how to take communion, how often to take communion, what it's really about, and what we can take away from it, even just a takeaway from today. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. This is Paul talking. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. It represents Jesus Christ. It doesn't become his body and blood. Some some faiths believe that. It represents his body and blood. When you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Another verse says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. It means there's no set schedule. Believe it or not, there is no biblical timetable on communion. But God said this, said, when you do it, I want you to focus on Jesus Christ. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. So God, Jesus, I mean, he is God. It's, it's awesome, the wording of the New Testament. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Whenever you drink it, do it to remember me. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That's why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. This is why I never enjoyed communion, because this was all that was ever given. Not all, but it was 
is really emphasized. Okay? We're going to see it within God's context. Verse 30, that is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would, here's that mercy of God. Here's that thing that, you know, don't overlook this. Don't get stuck on verse 30. For if we would examine ourselves, we should not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. It is better to be a son or a daughter that gets a spanking than to not have a family at all, to not be a part of the family, right? It's kind of like it's better to be lonely than miserable kind of thing, right? So communion at this church, everybody was getting sidetracked at communion, which is part of it. How many people can kind of relate? Now, let's be fair to the Corinthians. In your spiritual journey, it may be coming to Christ. That's where you're at right now. It may be that you just accepted Christ. It may be that, that you've been a long-time Christ follower. <laughs> There's not some words getting wrong. But how, how many would say this, that it is easier to get sidetracked than to stay focused? How many would say it is easy to get sidetracked when it comes to faith? Absolutely it is. And Paul's saying, listen, you guys have gotten sidetracked. And I want to remind you of some things. That's why there's some key things in the Bible. Everything in the Bible is absolutely inspired and perfect and needed. But everything is not as necessary as other things. Like if I say, you know, uh, you don't have a problem with lying, you know, and so the lie, you know, don't, it's there, you're not supposed to lie. But if you really struggle with lying, that verse means a lot to you. There's verses in the Bible, like if I say, man, Obad begat Jesse, Jesse begat David, David begat Solomon. You're like, that changed my life, I'm no longer depressed, right? It's important because Jesus comes from that family line, but it's not It's not maybe as equally needful in your life as other verses. You get what I'm saying? So God's saying, listen, there's these things we've got to be reminded of. There's these key teachings in the Bible we consistently have to relearn or recommit to because life and choices and the enemy seem to help consistently help us unlearn. And these people were sideways. They were gathered. Now check this out, man. They were gathered with the intentions of always getting more than they give. Always getting more than they received. Always expecting when they gathered to get and not give to, to just for it to be about them. It was kind of like Pawn Stars meets Swamp People. Kind of like, we always got to make a profit, and we always, you know, it's always about survival. And some of us have been there, we've lived that, we know that. This thing had gotten so convoluted, this relationship with Christ in their lives, that even communion had become a mess. The most simple, there's two ordinances in the local church. Baptism, communion, that's it. Not feet washing, you know, nothing, none of that. Thank God that foot washing is not one of those things. Because that would be awful. I'd have to be the one to wash your stinky feet. That would blow. That would just be terrible. One of two ordinances. One of two ordinances, man. This is one of them. They had totally messed it up. Now, back, we served grape juice. Back then, they only served wine. People were getting drunk off the wine. People were eating the bread until they were, like, stuffed. That's what they were all about. So they were they had messed this thing up at an astronomical level. And Paul said, Listen, man, we've got we've got to we've got to do something about this. You are self-absorbed, self-loathing, you know, your struggle with obeying Christ and you're off of mission. And, and I mean these people were gathering every seven days, just like many of us. And it wasn't all oh, the Jesus I surrendered, it was like, 
Audit Jesus, that's so cool. You know, there's truck on it. They did not get it. They didn't understand what this thing was all about. And Paul said, I want to challenge you and to get biblical about communion because it's about recentering your life. It's not about what other people think. It's not about looking around and saying, oh, I know what she's doing. I know what he's doing. I know what they're doing. It's not about that. It's about self-examination. It's not an embarrassment like at the airport. How many people have ever gone to the airport and got to experience this new x-ray? Anybody besides me? Every time I've flown since they brought it up, I mean, I, I never get checked. I don't look at them. You know, I smile. I'm friendly to people. I never get it. Both times since they've gotten this x-ray that shows you completely naked, I have come through there and got the full scan. And the second time, I was like, man, you guys, I really said this. I said, you guys must love seeing me nude. I don't know what you're talking about, sir. It's like TSA. I don't know what you're saying, you know. This is on a computer somewhere else, and we don't know what you're talking about. They just show up, and I'm having fun with it. They're pulling on, pushing on my pockets a little higher, a little higher. <laughs> and all the old guys are like, <laughs> you know, my wife's like, oh, God, just don't let us get, you know, arrested by the FBI with, uh, you know, frustrated comedian over there. You know what I mean? It's not that kind of examination. It's not where, where it's embarrassing. It is between you and Jesus Christ. Because communion is not about embarrassing people. It is not about scaring people. It is not about how, I hate, no, forgive me for this. It's not even about how you feel. Oh, I love to take communion. I wish we did it every Sunday. I wish I could do it every day. It's awesome. But that's not what it's about. It's about honoring Jesus Christ. It's about focusing on Jesus Christ. It's about taking just a moment to re-up, to recenter, to refocus that God has something in store for your life. That it's about Jesus, that it's about Christ Himself, that He instituted this thing for us to remember His sacrifice and think about Him and focus on Him. Focus on His identity, on His sacrifice, on His love, on, on the beauty of that, that suffering. And Jesus is the one that did this. To help us recenter. Baptism is all about identification. You accept Jesus Christ in your heart. This has nothing to do with going to heaven. This does not become the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. Some faith backgrounds believe that. Baptism does not wash away your sins. They are ordinances that God gave to the local church to baptism to identify. You're identifying with Jesus Christ. Some people balk at that. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, but I'm going to get baptized. You know? Why? Are you ashamed of Him? Are you afraid? Well, I don't know if it all figured out. Well, you have enough faith to accept Him, have enough faith to identify with Him that He can help you live that life. This is about sanctification. This is about God setting you apart for Himself. This is about that you need Christ to save you from the first moment. And this is about you need him every day to live this life. You, you can't live it on your own. I can't live it on my own. doesn't matter how many Bible studies, Bible classes you take, how long your tenure at church, you know, you've got your 5 and 10, 15, your pen. doesn't matter. We need Jesus Christ to be effective at living a faith-filled, Christ-centered life. You can't help it. I can't help it. We just need him. And so when we take this communion, it's like, okay, I am set apart. You set apart your sacrifice. You died and rose again for me. And I either will accept you as my Savior, or I have accepted you as my Savior. And God, I am set apart. And I remember that 
when I when I take communion that I consistently give God's help and God's power, and I consistently can be grateful for what He's done in my life. This is about honoring Jesus Christ. Communion represents God's incarnational message. God divine stepped into story to become a part of your life. Jesus Christ stepped from eternity into humanity. The divine, the holy, became human to show us what it was like to live a Christ-filled life. To show us what it was like to have a relationship that was that was adventurous and purpose-filled and powerful and not victim, not being victimized and not being addicted and not being depressed. He showed us how to do that. And then he died and was buried and rose again so we could have that relationship with God and we could have the help that Jesus Christ had to live. He died and was buried and suffered an awful death that we're going to see in just a moment so that we could have a connection to God. We can know God. So, Jay, what do I do with that? What do I do with this sacrifice? I mean, I, I've got all this southern and midwestern crossroads culture. I, I've got, we're surrounded by churches on every corner in Louisville. We've got these seminaries everywhere. What's it about? It's about this, that God stepped into story, that he died for our sins, and that by faith we can say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. And I confess that with my mouth. I say, Jesus, I need you. I invite you in my heart. As many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. Even to them that take communion, no, that believe on his name. You died, you were buried, you rose again. I believe that, Jesus. I believe it enough by faith to say, God, save me. God, forgive me. God, be my God. And God says, I will absolutely do it. And communion is an amazing picture of that. Check out Luke with me. Check out Luke 22, verse 17. This is the first communion, actually. It's amazing. But he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. Who's who's God's people? Everyone that accepts Jesus Christ. Now, people used to think it was just the Jews. Not just the Jews. Not just certain people with certain color skin. It's for everybody that believes on Jesus Christ. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die, but what waits this, 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 the, one who, the sorrow of the one who betrays me? There's no doubt this scene was emotional for Jesus. This is the last time he gets to hang out with all 12 of them. They didn't know Judas was a betrayer until just now. About, about two verses, boom, God reveals him. They thought it was them. It's a man, it's a man, it's a man. No, it's this guy. Oh, my gosh, we can't believe it's Jesus. He's the one that always kept the money. He's kept the cash. What's going on? So Jesus, all at once, he's had this amazing meal. He knows within 12 hours he's going to be carrying something he's never felt in his life, the weight of sin. I've carried the weight of sin my whole life. You have to. If you've ever lied, you've carried the weight of sin. If you've ever committed fornication or adultery, you've carried the weight of sin. If you've ever, if you've ever blasphemed God, if you've ever disobeyed your parents, 
If you've, you know, if you've ever torn people down, if you've ever not believed what God said, you felt the weight of sin. Jesus has never felt that. But all at once, he's getting ready to feel the full weight, not just of one person's sin, but every person's sin that ever lived, that ever did anything wrong. So he's got that going through his mind. He's looking at these 12 guys, and he's getting ready to, oh, oh my gosh, I hate this. As I've poured my life as God, I've given Judas so many chances to believe, and he just, and now's the time. See, Judas. And he's looking at these 11 guys, and he continues, and he's like, let me take it from you. Yeah, I get, oh, yeah. I get it, Jesus. We all die. We get it. We get it. You know, we're, we're about the kingdom. In their minds, they didn't get it. They were about themselves. They were about their own success. They were about God vindicating what they believed and how they preached. They were all about that. He said, no, I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised to life. I will not drink it new with you until I drink it new. I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back. I'm going to drink it. I'm going to have another chance to fellowship with you. They didn't get it. So he's got that going on. The thing, that, the thing that he every step he knows, he knows what's going to take place. And he's having this moment with them. And he's creating this ordinance, this, this thing that they can do throughout the ages to connect with him. God dismisses the traitor. He challenges the 11 to remember. I want you to remember me. I want you to remember what I've done so you can be connected to God. I want you to remember there's going to be times these guys are in the ministry. There's going to be times that you're going to face people. There's going to be times you give them a message. You don't know if you can, you can do this. I want, you, I want you to remember me. When you get together and gather, I want it to be about the message of my hope and love. And I know the world's going to sidetrack you. And I know the enemy's going to try to distort this. And I know the enemy is going to try to help you unlearn and life is going to fight against you and rage against you. But I want you to stop. I want you to exhale. I want you to remember me. As you take communion, do this in remembrance of me. And as you study the Gospels, you can just see what Jesus was trying to get this message across that I, I want you to see, guys. I want you to remember what I've done in you. Philippians 1.6 is a great verse for this. Check this out with me. And I am certain that God had begun the good work within you continue his, his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He who begins a good work in you will perform it, will, is committed to you. What I've done in you, what I've done in your heart, I've radically taken you to this point. And you can experience this today, man. If you haven't believed on Jesus Christ, you're right at that, you're right at that cusp, you're right at that turning point, you're right at that point where you can make a call on Christ and receive him as your Savior. And you can be a part of this action too. What I've done in you. What I've done in your spirit. How I've changed your life as a Christ follower. How I've healed you. How I've made a difference. How I've changed mindsets. How I've renewed your family. How I've saved your kids. What I've done in you. What I've done for you. Look at Acts 17. Look, it's amazing. Acts 17. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. It's setting us up for the shot. And human hands can't serve his needs. He has no needs. He gives life and breath to everything. It satisfies every need. He's got the whole... He does. He's got... With, you know, within him, you have breath, you have life. 
Jesus. Jamie, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. I don't want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. I get it. He still holds your, he still holds your life in his hands. God's your source. He has blessed you. Communion is a reminder of his goodness. And that he helps us do more than ignore him. We got this, we got this guy. There's this guy that's really hard for me to love, but Jesus loves him. He's a lawyer here locally that hates Life Point Church and especially cannot stand me. Sends me a letter after every mail or let me know. Every year he gives to Planned Parenthood a sizable donation, so much so that they send me a card and let me know that he gave that card. God loves him. I wanted to flip it on its ear this year. I said, God, how do I serve these people at Planned Parenthood? Are you talking about two organizations that are polar opposite against each other, at least the the last 50% of Planned Parenthood? I mean, there's this battle. Come on, you've seen it on the news. We've seen all these uh, bombings and all these clinics, and we've seen all this fighting and all this protesting. I thought, I know what to do. Thank you for the idea, Lord. Krispy Kreme. Nothing says Jesus loves you like Krispy Kreme. Nothing. Except for maybe Skyline. Skyline says Jesus really loves you. It's true. God, we can go down there. So I, I, I all I have is a New York office. So this week i got to find the office. I'm going to take notes down there. And I'm not affirming anything that goes on in there or doesn't go on in there. That's not my problem. That's not my business. Because if I would judge myself, I would not be judged. Not if I don't judge other people. If I would, if I would judge myself. Not if I judge other people. If I would judge myself. To go in there and say, listen, Jesus loves you. And I know you catch a lot of flack from the church. But I want you to know that you and your staff, that Jesus loves you. And I want to show you a tangible evidence of that. I want to invite you to the greatest church on the planet, LifePoint Church, so you can learn more about Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me. What have I done for you? What can I do through you? What can I do through you? What I can do through you, God says. John 14, check this out. Amazing. Uh, This is the one that's hard for me that I'm really asking God to push play. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. I'm going to be with the Father. Life Point Church, if everybody in this room buys into that verse, can do more than the disciples did in their ministry. We can have more effectiveness. Oh, we can't do it for our glory. We're going to want Jesus in it. That's what I'm saying. Because he went to the Father and sent the Spirit. The Spirit can uplift the Son in a way that Jesus could not glorify himself before he rose again. We can be used by God so mightily. But here's what the enemy does. It says you're worthless. Look at what you did. Look at how you're addicted. Look at all this. I'm going to press you and repress you and oppress you. God says, I want to do greater things. I want to do things through you. I want to utilize your story. I want to utilize your gifts. I want to leverage your heart and have pride and arrogance. We say, no, sir. I'm in charge. The fool has said, the, you know, the, the verse of the translators said, the fool said this, like, there is no God. The verse says, the fool says, no God, no God. The Bible says he's a fool. But if God is allowed to work through you, to use you, to heal you, to walk you through whatever process that you're a part of, bring truth and healing to your life. That's something to work through. Your story's big. I got all this bad stuff, Jesus. All I don't, I don't I want you to not. I don't want you to lock that door. I want access to that door. I want to bring that stuff in the light, and I want to heal you. And I'm going to take this thing that causes you shame, and causes you to run, and causes you to avoid, and causes you not to commit, and not to give, and not to serve, and not to be a part of the action. And I'm going to use it as part of your redemptive story. God wants the good, the bad, and the ugly. And what we do is we come to church. We're like, man, 
Praise the Lord. How you doing? Fantastic. Well, we just about are ready to divorce our wife or husband. How you doing? Fantastic. Well, we were molested as kids, and it's killing our relationship with our own kids because we can't bond, and we're afraid, and we've got all this stuff twirling around in our lives. God says, Mess. you take communion. Stop for a moment and realize I can do great things in you and through you because of my sacrifice. And if it could get any better, and God one ups himself, look at this what I can do with you. both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. What's the big deal? Let's go to King James that really points it out. This is the one. We are laborers together with God. God says, listen, I'm going to do this thing in you. I'm going to do this thing for you. I'm going to do this thing through you, but I want to do it with you. I want to do mission with you. Yeah, I can bless you and everybody, look how blessed he is. Look at him. You can be up to you, but listen, I want to do this with you. I want us to partner together. I want to love your neighbor with you. I want to reach out with you at your workplace. I want to spend time with you when you read the Bible. I want to listen to you. I want you to know I'm with you when you're talking to me. I want you to know that even when you mess up, I want to do this thing called life with you. That is God. That is who offers you eternal life. That is who has given you eternal life. And today, in the worst season of the year, for busyness, frustration, and loss, and what has happened, and what you wish would have happened, we're going to take Jesus' challenge. There's no one worthy. There's no one worthy. And the lamb says, I will go. And he 
died and shed his blood. And that blood was applied on the mercy seat. What's that mean, Jay? Represented everything in the Old Testament. Check it out in, in, the, in the Old Testament, first five books, read about it. But then when God sees you with that blood on the mercy seat and you've believed on that payment, God sees Jesus. He doesn't see those secrets. He doesn't see what someone else did to you. He doesn't see what you've done. He doesn't see addiction. He doesn't see fear. He doesn't see rejection. He doesn't see loneliness. He doesn't see awkwardness. He doesn't see lack of anything. He sees the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the blood had to be shed. So we do this to remember him. Not to scare you. Not to alienate you. Just say, come on, be a part of the family. You are part of the family. Come on, let's take this. Let's examine. Let's do what we need to do. Let's confess sin. Let's get right with people. Whatever we need to do, let's get right with God.